All right, everyone. Good morning. Come and grab your seats. And if you've got a Bible, grab that as well. What we're going to be doing today is we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Joshua um, in the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bible, go and find the book of Joshua in the Old Testament and we'll be getting to that um, very soon. Now, before we get into that, I don't know if you've been uh, living in a situation where you've been, God's spoken to you about things in your life, uh, but you haven't seen them there. You're, you're living in that place of waiting for things to be fulfilled that hasn't actually happened yet. I know from my life I'm doing that. Part of it I'm walking in now when God called me to leadership in a church that was many years ago and now I'm, I'm doing what he called me to. I'm, I've walked into that but actually there's more that I feel God's spoken to me about that hasn't happened yet. I'm living with this kind of position where I believe God said some things to me, promised some things to me but they haven't actually happened and I'm, I'm living in hope and living in expectations. God's spoken to me many years ago about filling warehouses with his vision. I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but there's something coming about that, about preaching to many hundreds, thousands of people in my life. He's um, spoke to me about traveling and going in and out of nations, but I haven't had that yet. I haven't seen that yet. I don't even have a passport, so that's not happening anytime soon. But actually, that's what God's called me to. That's what God spoke to me. And I'm living with these promises that haven't happened. And you're kind of living in this tension. And as we come to the book of Joshua, there's this same dynamic going on where God has promised things that haven't happened yet. And in the book of Joshua, you see them take hold of some of these promises. We've called the series Strong and Courageous because that's the charge God gives to Joshua at the beginning of the book to say, go and take hold of some of the things I've called you to as a people. And actually, if we're going to take hold of what God's called us to in this life, we need to be strong and courageous. We need to not give up. We need to not be weak. We need to not look back. We need to keep pressing into him, keep going in him. And that's what we're going to be sort of starting looking at as we go through this series. Now, the plan is to start today to preach through the entire book of Joshua, 24 chapters. We'll probably wrap up around Easter time. We're going to take a break uh, for Christmas. We'll do a Christmas series and then we'll come back in January and we'll continue it on. And so that's sort of where we're heading. The book of Joshua is filled with some really exciting um, events. It's kind of the book that would make a pretty good film. If you turn it into a film, there's battles and there's conquest and there's famous stories. If you're familiar with your Bible, there's the crossing of the River Jordan where the entire nation crossed through a river that was kind of in flood and they passed through. There's the famous one where the walls of Jericho came crashing down when they marched around the city. There's this incident where the sun stood still in the sky, it didn't move so they could finish a battle. There's a bit where Joshua meets this mysterious character who's the commander of the army of the Lord and he meets him and has this kind of encounter that's just like whoa what's all that about so lots of exciting stuff in one sense it's the opposite of what we looked at in the summer which was the book of Ruth which is very ordinary very down to earth very mundane yet we saw God's hand working in that this one's a little bit more crash bang wallop exciting things happening. Uh, I want to just push you to some resources as we study this book, some things I want you to have a look at. The first one, I recommend this book very, very highly. I read this about a year ago. I've started rereading it now. We're starting to preach through it. It's called Every Promise in Your Word 
by a guy named Red Dotson, who's a, a U.S. pastor. I don't know very much more about him, but it was an excellent book that's kind of devotional commentary on the book of Joshua. If you want to read something alongside, read this book, get hold of it. I'll send the link out this week, but I've read it. I'm now rereading it. It's just one of those things that you can read alongside as you read the book of Joshua. Grab hold of this. It will do your soul good, and it will help you understand uh, the book, of, uh, book as a whole. I'll leave it down here if you want to come and have a grab or look at it at the end. Um, if you watched the video I sent out, the Bible Project video, which gives you an overview of the book of Joshua... Got a nod down here. Thank you. I'll send that link out again, but watch that as well. It helps you kind of put the book in context. It frames it and it makes you understand kind of where you're going with that. I've also got this one for the more visual among you. This one is brilliant. I love this one. This is the word-for-word Bible comic on the book of Joshua. This takes the text of the Bible and it puts it all together, but it's illustrated. Literally gone. So there's nothing added other than it's the Bible, but there are fabulous, uh, historically accurate uh, illustrations that go along with it. So when you read it, you're actually seeing the story kind of work out, and the historical detail behind it is stunning. And so I'd encourage you to have a look at that if you like that kind of thing, much more visual. That's a bit of a grim page. So the battles are battles. But there's lots of exciting stuff, so have a look at that too. So grab those. If you want to have a look at them, come and have a look at them um, at the end. Now, if you found... Uh, the book of Joshua. We're just going to read the first few verses. They're going to go up here. Just want to read the intro and then we're going to talk about the book as a whole, um, as an introduction. It begins like this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistants, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. So let's look at a few things about this to kind of set the scene as we begin this series. The first one, the context. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now Moses is a huge character in the Old Testament. If you know anything about your Bible, you'll have heard of Moses. In fact, most people outside who don't know their Bible, or don't, they've heard of this guy Moses. They've made films about him. He's quite an important character. But guess what? He's dead. He's died, so the beginning of the story is the death of Moses, which has literally just happened in Israel's history. And if we go back to the beginning to kind of put this in context in the Bible story, we've had creation, how the story begins, God makes heaven's earth, everything's good. We have fall, which immediately comes after that, Genesis chapter 3, where everything goes wrong. Man rebels, everything's broken, man's relationship with God is broken, man's relationship with one another is broken, man's relationship with creation is broken, everything's broken, damaged. And then the rest of the Bible is God's story of trying to reconcile man to himself. And then finally you get the end of the Bible where everything is finished and completed and God's people will be with him forever. But if you go back to the beginning of that story, we've had fall and then God goes and finds a man named Abraham and he calls him out and he says, do you know what Abraham? I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the world, and I'm going to give you descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And it's a huge promise, and that promise goes down the family line, and you get his son Isaac, his son Jacob. They have 12 sons. One of them is Joseph, who we've preached about when we looked at the back end of Genesis. They then go down into Egypt at the end of the book of Genesis and grow into this mighty nation, Israel. But unfortunately, Pharaoh, the ruler of the nation, enslaves them. And they're enslaved for about 400 plus years in Egypt. But at that time, God has blessed them, fulfilling his promise. And they've grown and grown and grown into this great nation. Then 
Uh, Moses comes, leads them out of slavery. We see that in the book of Exodus. They go into the wilderness, so they've been set free. And you have hear about the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. And so they're in the, um, the wilderness as a nation. So God's word that he spoke to Abraham is coming to fulfillment. But what God also said to them was, not only are you going to multiply, is the land that you're standing in, that land I'm going to give to you as an inheritance to your descendants. So they've come out of Egypt, and God is saying, now I'm going to take you to the land that I promised. I've multiplied you like I said I would, and I'll continue to do that, but I'm actually now going to give you the land for you to live in as your inheritance. But So God takes them out of Egypt under Moses to the edge of the promised land, and they're like, God's like, ready, we can go in, we can take it. So they send out some spies in the promised land just to check what's going on here. They come back and they say, whoa, this isn't going to work. The reason it's not going to work is because they're really, really big over there and they've got cities with walls and they're strong and they've got armies and we can't do this. A couple of the spies say, actually, I think we can do it. One of them is called Joshua. We'll come to him. And his buddy Caleb will come to him too. But they basically say, no, we can't. But the people all believe the spies who brought the bad report. And basically, in response to that, God says, well, if you haven't got the faith to take it, you're going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years till you all die out. And I'll raise up a new generation who wants to follow me and trust me, and they will take the promised land. So that kind of closes out Exodus, and then we get to Deuteronomy, the book immediately before Joshua. And so all that, nation, all that generation has died out, except for Joshua and his buddy Caleb, and they're now ready to go into the promised land for the second time. And they, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, there's Moses there. He restates the law to them to remind them what God's called them to, what they're to believe. And then at the end of the book, Moses dies. And this would have been huge for the people of God because Moses had been their leader. He had taken them out of slavery. He was such a great figure, but he's died. Um, and that's kind of where it ends. But God wants us to know that actually, and Joshua to know that actually, just because Moses is dead doesn't mean it's the end. So that's the context of the book. They're kind of, they're waiting there on the edge of the promised land, ready to go in and fulfill God's promise that he gave to Abraham 500 plus years before him. So then it says in that passage, so that's after the death of Moses. Then we come to the man himself, Joshua. He's described as the son of Nun, and he was Moses' assistant. He is the central character of this book. You're going to hear a lot about Joshua, a lot of focus on him, his story as we read through the book that bears his name. He was the chosen successor to Moses to lead the people. Moses is dead. Joshua is the one who's going to be taken, taking on. And there's two things we need to know about Joshua. First one, he was a man of war. He was a man of war. He was a man of courage. When we first meet him back in the book of Exodus, he's fighting against Amalek, who are the enemies of the people of God, and they've come against God. And Joshua takes some of the fighting men and goes out into the field of battle while Moses is up on the hill kind of interceding for them and, and fights the enemy. So he's a man who is not afraid of danger. He shows great courage to go and lead men into war against an enemy, and he fights for them, and so he is courageous and he is strong and he can lead others in battle. So he is a man of war. But also he is a man of God. He's a man of God. If we look at his history, it says he was trained first thing. He accompanied Moses up Mount Sinai to meet God. When Moses went up the mountain to meet with the Lord, Joshua went with him. So he was trained 
by God's leader, the man who saw God face to face. Moses come down from the mountain and been kind of shining with the presence of God. Joshua was with him at that time, learning from God's leader um, of his people. It says he was devoted as well. It says um, when they left Egypt, God directed the people to build a a tent, the tabernacle, which would be in the midst of the camp of the people when they're in the wilderness. You'd have the tent in in the middle that they'd built, and round it would have the tribes kind of camping, kind of a million plus people. And in the middle was the tent. And why was the tent significant? Because that's where the presence of God was. The Ark of the Covenant with God's law in it was in the middle and God's presence rested on the tent. And it said Joshua didn't leave the tent. He didn't leave that place. He was always in the presence of God. He wanted to be. He was devoted to God, devoted to his presence, devoted to being around him. And he was always there with them. He said he was a man who had the Spirit of God in him as well. The Old Testament, we read about the Spirit of God falling on people, but it was limited to certain people for certain times and certain roles. Joshua was one of those men where God's presence was on him to lead and to serve and to be one um, of God's people. We also see he's a a great man of faith. When he went into Canaan, the, the promised land, and he spied it out with all the other spies, and he saw these great enemies, these giants, it said, these huge fortified cities, this, this mighty enemy that was arrayed before him. He was a man of faith and came back and said, we can take them because we have God with us. And so he's a man who showed great faith when the other spies, 10 of the other spies said, no, we're not going there, they're going to kill us. And Joshua said, no, we can do this. He was a man of huge faith. He was also someone who was chosen. He was the chosen successor of Moses. He wasn't appointed by kind of a democracy, hands up, have a vote, have a runoff, have an election. No, no, God said, he is going to be my man. He was chosen by God himself. And if we look at that first verse, a couple of verses in Joshua, um, he was also someone who was spoken to by God. So we heard the voice of God as well because God spoke directly to him, um, gave him commands, what it meant to follow, um, to lead God's people. Interestingly, the Bible doesn't actually record anything bad about Joshua. He's one of those characters. And the Bible's not afraid to write bad things about the people in it. You know, their warts and all. Joshua, interestingly, is a man where he doesn't really say anything bad about him. He just says lots of good things. So he is God's chosen man. Now let's talk about the book itself. The book of Joshua immediately comes off the first five books of the Bible, which are known as the law. And it's an Old Testament uh, narrative. It's a historical one. So the tone changes slightly from what's gone before. First five books are known as the law, contain lots of law in them, bits of narrative as well. But Joshua is a narrative piece. It's an Old Testament history. The author of the book is anonymous, but it's attributed to Joshua. He's the one who believes to write it. The reason you can actually, in some of the, there's an incident in chapter 6 where it describes something that happened that was still existing to that day. There was, something, there was an eyewitness account to it. Um, uh, the name Joshua actually means the Lord saves. And there's that sense within the book that the Lord is saving his people, bringing them into the promised land. Time of writing, most of it written in Joshua's day. Some of it written in later, believed to be the time when King David, about 1000 BC, was kind of finished up, edited. And then when we have what we have now in our Old Testament. The structure of the book, the book is 24 chapters that all kind of concerned with the land and taking the from, promised land. The first five chapters are a preparation for taking the land. That's what we're looking at first. The preparation, getting ready to take the land. And people prepared for what God's called them to. Then we've got chapters 6 to 12, which are the most fun ones, which are the warfare. 
which is involved taking the land. How do they actually take it against their enemies? Then we have chapters 13 to 22, which is the division of the inheritance, which is giving the land to the people. And then the last two chapters of the book are basically sort of the final words of Joshua to his people. Now they've taken the land, they've inherited it, they're settled. What actually is next? Where are they going to go? What I've done, just to help, you, help me, is that video, the Bible Project video I've I sent out to you, you can actually get the poster version, which I printed out, which is the one they draw as you watch the video, and I've shoved it in my Bible in Joshua, which is just helps with the structure. So it's got it all there. So while you're reading it, I stick that in my Bible there just to help me. So as I'm following it, I know the context of what I'm reading. How does this bit fit in the overall message of the book, the overall structure of the book? It helps me understand it. So if you haven't done that, you might want to watch the video, print off the poster, which you can, and stick it in your Bible, which helps you as you read it to find out where all the bits kind of stick together and help you understand it more. Okay, the next one. The message of the book of Joshua. What's the big themes of it? What's the big idea behind it? Well, there's two ones I want to highlight today. The first one is the land. It's all about the land. The major purpose of the book is to tell the story of how God fulfills his promise to bring his people into the land that he promised to Abraham 500 years beforehand. And it's been the goal of kind of Scripture since the beginning. Since God gave that promise in Genesis 12 to Abraham, it's all been building. And it's gone book after book after book. We now hit Joshua. And it's actually, we're now going to see the fulfillment of something that's been brewing for four or five books plus 500 years of history. And the land was huge in the mind of the people of God because it represented something about God. It First of all, it represented God's promises. It represented the fact that God had spoken to Abraham all those years before and said, I will give this land to you and I will give it to your descendants as an inheritance. And he said that your descendants will be multiplied. There will be many of them. He said, I've given this land to you. And so there's kind of, there's something like there's God's promises. God's word is on the line here in the fact that I am going to fulfill my word to you. And it's all about God's being faithful to his promises to his people. I will give you this land. I will fight for you. I will go before you in it. But there's also many other promises that are kind of fulfilled within that, that it actually shows the character of God, that he is a promise-keeping God. God promised Joshua that he would be exalted in the eyes of Israel. And we see that as we go through the book, that actually Joshua is raised up as the leader, and Israel follow him and listen to him. And so there's God fulfilling his promises through that. There's an interesting story, if you go back to Numbers, where there was a man named, I've got to pronounce his name correctly, Zelophehad, something like that, begins with a Z. And he only had daughters. And if we think about to the book of Ruth, what did that mean? If you had daughters and no son, there was no one to pass the inheritance onto in that culture. But there was a specific promise given to him about his daughter saying, even though you've only had daughters, you will inherit some of the promised land. You are not going to miss out. I'm a faithful God. I will make sure that you receive your inheritance, you and your daughters. And if we go into Joshua 17, chapter 17, there's an explicit uh, bit of text where actually God is faithful and fulfills his promise to that man and his daughters. They would receive some of the inheritance in the land. They would not be missed out. God promised to drive out the, the Canaanites before him, those who are under God's judgment for their evil actions. And he said, I will drive them out. And we see God fulfilling his promises as we go through the kind of conquest sections where actually he drives them out and he fulfills them. And then if we get to the end of the book, 
that's a really kind of significant part. It says this in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 43. It says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he has sworn to their forefathers. forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Every promise. So it's, the land is very much wrapped up in the promises of God to his people. So as people take the land... They're fulfilling God's promises that he had promised hundreds of years before and they were taking hold of that. And we read at the end of the book that God fulfilled them because he is a faithful and good God to his people. What also the land um, represents is God's provision that God would provide for his people. There's this phrase that you might have heard where the promised land, this land of Canaan that's been promised, was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land of great abundance. If you didn't like milk or honey, don't know where that leaves you. But it was a picture of God's wonderful provision. And I think there's the incident of the spies when they come back as proof of this. They bring these bunch of grapes that they found, but they had to carry it on a pole between them because there was so much of it. It was so big, it was so heavy. And they had to kind of say, look, this is what the land produced. So there was very much God's provision. I will provide for you. You will not be in want. I am your provider. And if you reflect back on where Israel had come from, where had they just been? They'd been slaves. They'd, they'd, they'd had nothing. They'd had, whatever they had that had been taken from them, they were under an impressive ruler of Pharaoh. They didn't have anything. And God said, I'm bringing you out. I'm going to provide for you. He provided for them in the wilderness with the quail and the manna, provision. And he said, now I'm taking you into the land which will have abundance. And you will be provided for and you will not. I am that God. I will provide for your needs. I will not leave you in want. And the third thing the land represented was God's rest. When I take you into the land and you take the land and I fight for you, there will be rest from your enemies. You will know peace. You will know that kind of provision of rest and sort of resting in me, in God. And if you go to the end of the book, you see, God, you see that worked out, that actually the land had rest from war because God's promise had been fulfilled to his people. So there's God's promises, God's provision, God's rest was all wrapped up in the land that God had promised to Abraham and he was giving it to his people. The second thing that the book kind of teaches us in the message is this dynamic of God's power and Israel's obedience. God's power and Israel's obedience. We see um, God promised to defeat his enemies, and as we go through the book, you'll see him do that, God acting and making sure all the enemies were defeated before Israel and Israel got them. And this is an interesting one to kind of think through, is because Israel had no history of warfare up to this point. They'd been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and so they didn't have a standing army. They had no history of what that looks like. We think about our nation We've had an army standing on for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's a sense of we're familiar with warfare as a nation. We know how to fight. We've got the weapons of war. We know what we're doing in that sense. There are men and women who just understand that. Israel have not had that. They were going to take a land that had huge fortified cities and they were told to go and take them. 
But actually, because of God's power, they could do it. Because God was with them, they could defeat their enemy. It didn't matter if the enemy had been trained longer, had more people, had walls, had weapons of war. It doesn't matter. God was with them. And if we go through um, the story of um, the book of Joshua, you find again and again, God is given credit for Israel's victories. Because God's power is at work. Even in particular instances like the crossing of the Jordan, the walls of Jericho falling down, the sun standing still in the sky so they can defeat um, at Ai. All these things happen by God's power. He is the one who's going to take the land. It's not going to be by man's effort. It's not going to be by man's skill. God's power is going to be displayed before the people. And that way no one else gets the credit. Only he gets the credit. But put alongside that is Israel's obedience. Israel is strongly called to be obedient. He's saying, you will take the land and I will demonstrate, but you must follow my commands. You must follow the words of the law. You must follow what I've said to you right at the end of Deuteronomy, which comes immediately before. Moses sets out the law again, reminds the people of what their covenant commitment to God is, their agreement to God is. What have they, what have they entered into in following God? When God chose them, called them out of Israel, they are to follow the Lord of God. They are to be obedient. And it says in the verses we read, this was for all the people of Israel. We can tend to individualize things that God says to us. It's about me, what's God saying to me. But actually there's a corporate dynamic, a very strong one. And God's saying to the people of Israel, you as my people are to advance forward in faith in me and following my commands. It's not just one person. It's not just a leader. It's not just the spiritual ones. All of us have to be obedient to what God has called us to do. And we see things like um, God says specifically to um, Joshua that you must keep the word of the law before you. You must not deal from it even in specific instances God says particularly in this instance you can do this in this instance you can do that in this instance don't do that don't do that when they take Jericho God says that's fine you can take the city but you don't get to take anything from the city that all goes to me that's my kind of portion it's almost like the tithe isn't it we give our first fruits to God so Jericho is the first city to take I get all of that that's the rule next city you can keep everything that's what they, So there's a lot of things about God's commands in there. And if pe- the people fail to follow God's commands, then it goes wrong. If you know the story, we'll come to some of that, chapter 7. It goes wrong when they don't feel, obey God's commands. So as well as God acting for these people, there was a very strong element of actually we need to be a faithful, obedient people to work in God's power and see it come. You can't just have one without the other. So we'll see that kind of dynamic working out as we go through the story. So there's kind of a bit of a a summary and introduction to the book that hopefully sort of whets your appetite in what we're getting into um, and what we're doing. And hopefully you're going to be reading a bit of it. But in terms of stepping back and seeing the big picture of Scripture, there's one final kind of important thing we need to remember as we study the book of Joshua and that is that Jesus is a better Joshua. Jesus is a better Joshua. Whenever we read our Bibles, whichever part we kind of find ourselves in, we must always find our way back to Jesus. And some bits are easier than others. If you read a gospel, that's fairly easy. He's there. You read the New Testament letters, they talk about him. You can find that. Old Testament, a little bit more difficult. 
a little bit more kind of, we have to work at this, we have to think about this. Um, and J- Joshua provides some excellent examples to point us back to Jesus. He is what is known as a type of Christ, which means there are certain characters in the Old Testament that are types that point us to Jesus. They have elements about them, shadows of what is to come. We saw one when we looked at Ruth. Who was the type of Christ in the book of Ruth? It was Boaz. Boaz, this character who showed kindness to Ruth and Naomi, who were poor, they were outside, they they had no inheritance, they had no future, they had nothing in the system at the time. They were, they were lost, they had suffered tragedy, bereavement. That's a picture of what we're like. And then along comes Boaz. Boaz enters the scene and shows great kindness to them and great love to them. And he redeems them. He buys them back. He gives them an inheritance. He gives them a future in the story, which is just what Jesus did with us. And so as we read the story, we take Boaz as the human character in the story. But also there's a pointing forward to one greater than Boaz to come. And that is Jesus. And when we read Joshua... Joshua serves as that same type. He was a human man. He led the people of God. He wasn't perfect, but we know he points forward to Jesus. Jesus uh, sorry, Joshua led the people into the promised land, into God's inheritance. Jesus leads us into our eternal promised land and to a heavenly city that we will one day be a part of. Jesus defeated, uh, sorry, Joshua defeated God's enemies in the land. Jesus will defeat and has defeated our ultimate enemy of sin and Satan and death. And he has the ultimate victory. We sang about it, didn't we? Joshua led the people into a land um, that could be taken. And if you read the story on in the Old Testament, you find that through Israel's disobedience, the land is taken from them. And they are dispossessed and they are sent away into slavery. Jesus leads us into a place that is forever. His promised land, we go to the end of Revelation, you read it, the new heavens and the new earth. There is forever, somewhere that can never be taken and we will be with him forever. Joshua led his people into a temporary rest. There was rest in the promised land, but it didn't last through Israel's obedience. Jesus leads us into an eternal rest that can never be taken from us and will always be with us. So as we study the book of Joshua, as you read it in your own times, as you think about it, Read the stories for what they are there and then, but actually always be looking ahead and thinking, how does this point to Jesus? What does this tell me about Jesus? What does this teach me about Jesus? Because the purpose of studying this book ultimately is to increase our love, our worship, and our knowledge of Jesus. That's where we're going. That's what we want to do. All right, a bit of application for you to finish. I'd love you to read the book of Joshua. If you haven't already started, please do so. There are many different ways you can do that. You can read like a, read through it in sections, read through it a chapter a day, finish it in less than a month, read through it in bits at a time. You can listen to it. If you get the, um, the version app on your phone that has all these different translations, you can actually listen to it, make a point of listening to it as well, see what you can learn from doing that. So read the book, listen to it, read it in different translations. You might have your favorite, which you probably brought today. That's the one I tend to read in. Try reading it in different translations, see what that brings out for the story. If you haven't watched the video, the Bible Project video, have a watch of that. Just see how that kind of opens up the kind of the story of Joshua and what it means for us. Get the book that I've recommended. Have a read of that. 
devote some time to kind of studying God's Word and having someone who has kind of taken more time than we have, a scholar, to help lead us through that in that study. Have a go at that. Don't miss the sermons. They're going to be awesome. I know that. I just know that they are. I'm going to be preaching the majority of them. Jeremy's going to be helping me. Matt's going to be helping me before Christmas. So there'll be some others doing it as well. But we're going to study this book. So don't miss it. If you miss one week, you're on kids' work, come back. Catch up online. Talk to others about it. This week in your life group, I'd love you as you get together um, and you've eaten together and you're kind of in the chat bit before you pray. Talk about this. How are we going to study the book of Joshua? Share what you're going to do. This is what I feel challenged to do. This is how I'm going to go about it. This is what I'm going to set aside time to do. How I'm going to invest in letting God speak to me through his word so I learn and grow and become more and more like Jesus. Take some time to do that this week. Put some plans in place. Think about it. Think, how am I going to let this word affect me and grow in that Melanie, my wife, just to share what she's doing. She's read through the book of Joshua already. She's started listening to it as well. She is, um, she, uh, she's, she's doing now doing a study on uh, what kind of leader was Joshua. How, what can I learn about godly leadership from Joshua? And so she's taking notes on that. She's already shown me, I've learned this, I've learned this. It's probably going to come a teaching that the kids' leaders will get at some point in the future but there you go that's what she's doing i'm rereading that book as i've said said to you before just to follow on just to try and kind of get into joshua study joshua even though i read it once i'm learning again thinking oh yeah look how that all fits together but make a plan to do this to get the most out of this don't have to do it all by next week but actually get a plan and when you get together in your groups this week talk about it talk about what you're going to do um in the book of Joshua. We're going to kind of finish now and uh, spend some time worshipping. So do you want to stand up? And I'm just going to pray. And can the band come back up? Okay, maybe you want to close your eyes. I'm just going to pray that as we move into this time of studying this book, of spending some time here, that God will use it to transform hearts and minds. Thinking back to what I started with about um, promises, things God may have spoke to you, things that you haven't taken, you know, things you haven't seen. One of the messages that comes through Joshua, look at it particularly next week, is this whole idea of being strong and courageous because to take the land, that's what the people needed. That's what Joshua needed. That's what the whole company of Israel needed. That's what they needed to do when they face setback, when they face trial, when they face the next kind of, whoa, how do we do this? How do we take this? They need to be strong and courageous. In, even in studying our Bibles, even in making time, you need to be strong and courageous. You need to make those decisions, make those kind of, yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I'm going to put time against it. Yes, I'm going to overcome my weariness, my tired, my natural inclination to just sit in front of the telly or do something else. It requires energy. It requires effort to do these things. And I'm just going to pray that God would do that. Because I think during this... I literally, what have I done? Am I still... What have I done, Matthew? It wasn't you. So it was me. Oh, it was you. Oh, thank you for taking that. It was Matthew. I thought there was maybe a dramatic God moment there where it all went... And it, what I was going to say was that I think through this 
process, as we study the book, as we look at what it means to be strong and courageous, as we follow Israel on their journey with the ups and lows and then taking the land and kind of getting that inheritance. I believe there's people here that God has said things to you that you're living with that you haven't seen yet. There's kind of maybe things you've got in your heart. I think God spoke to me about this. God spoke to me about something I'd be doing or somewhere I'd be or something that would happen or something in my life that I haven't seen yet. I'm still living in that kind of that gap between what he said and actually seeing some level of fulfillment on it. And I want to pray that you be strong and courageous in pursuing that. And I believe as we study this book, God's going to reignite things in people's heart and say, actually, I need to go again. I need to push into that. I need to start praying for the sick because God spoke to me about healing or, or something like that. I need to explore this, uh, this opportunity over here because I believe God's called me to that. I just need to step out and say, I want to get involved in this, volunteer, because God's called me into a particular thing. Whatever it is, taking on responsibility, I don't know. But I know God has spoken to his people. And, be, and you live with things. I know I live with things, and I think God is going to use this series to kind of ignite some stuff in our hearts. But for that to happen, we need to be strong and courageous, and we need to be like the people of Israel and follow Jesus and look to him. And so I'm just going to pray that for you. So if you know even as I'm speaking, something's resonating, do some business with God now. Express some faith in God and saying, yes, God, I'm going to go after it. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. We want to particularly thank you for this section of your word, the book of Joshua that we're looking at. Lord, we thank you that Joshua means the Lord saves. And we, Lord, we thank you you saved us. You've called us to you, your people, the church. Lord, and we thank you for that great privilege. Lord, and we thank you for the inheritance that you have for us, that you have all for us, that we have in eternity waiting, a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you, Lord, that you are a better Joshua. Everything we read about there, you've done better and fuller and deeper in our lives. Lord God, we thank you that we have a promised land that we are going to inherit because of you, Lord Jesus. And we praise you for that, Lord. But I pray and I ask for this time as we live these short few years on this earth and all the things that you've called us to. Lord, I pray you make us a people who are strong and courageous. Who are strong and courageous to follow you to go after what you've put in our hearts, to, go, to be obedient to your word, of following you, of reading our Bible, of prayer, of sharing the good news with others, of caring for the poor, caring for the vulnerable, praying for the sick, inviting people on Alpha, whatever it is, Lord. I, I pray for those amongst us who are carrying those weights of, I believe God's called me to this and I just haven't seen it yet. Lord, I pray you reignite faith. I pray you give courage where we're weak, where we've been knocked back in the past and hurt. I pray you give us faith to go again after you, Lord Jesus. We might feel old and weary and tired. When you get the story of Caleb, he was 80 and he was still taking the mountain. You know, saying, God, I will take my inheritance in his 80s. You think so? That counts all of us in. We can all go after God regardless of our age. Lord Jesus, we want to say we love you and we praise you and we worship you and we pray that your word would transform our hearts and our lives as we study this book. And God's people said, Amen, Amen.